This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am really excited to be joined by special guests back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast for the third consecutive year. It is Mr. Mike Clay from ESPN. Mike, how are you doing, my friend? I'm uh, I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, trying to relax a little bit here during the summer. Uh, just hanging at home with the family, and uh, you know, just uh, anticipating the start of another football season. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. I know here at Saturday to Sunday, we have said throughout the last couple months that football has been a welcome distraction to, you know, look ahead and recap the NFL draft, which is really what we focus in on here throughout studying these college prospects. So again, I just really kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit, you know, on these rookies, a little bit, maybe what you think of them short term and, and long term. So let's start right at the quarterback position. You know, the, the, the conversation between Burrow and Tua, where do you kind of stand on that? If you take the injury component out of it do you see a substantial difference in terms of how you're valuing them in terms of dynasty leagues and do you expect burrow to really hit at come out of the gate pretty strong based based on their weapons they might have there in cincinnati well i think uh injury aside durability aside it's almost a wash right i mean just think about last season i mean Tua only played six fewer games than joe, joe burrow and you know Tua had a higher yards per attempt a higher yards per completion a uh his qbr was just behind his quarterback rating for, on the college scale was higher i mean he was still extremely good last season so let, let's let's not forget about tank for Tua, right this guy has a a massive amount of talent. He's also over a year younger than Joe Burrow. So uh, assuming he gets past his any, any health concerns, the sky is the limit. And I would argue that his ceiling is just as high, if not slightly higher than Joe Burrow. So so definitely close uh, in that regard. I do have a Burrow ranked ahead. Um, he, you know, pedigrees there. He was the first overall pick. He's coming off a tremendous season over a, uh, a larger sample. The skills are there to add some value with his legs. So uh, I, I really like both guys. I'd give a slight nod to Joe, but if I came out of a rookie draft with, with uh, Tua, I'd be more than happy. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's the case, and I think the injury for Tua kind of has changed the perspective on him a little bit, on just how talented of a prospect he is. Do you think that Joe Burrow could have a season this year that, you know, replicates some of the success of, you know, I know last year while inconsistent, Daniel Jones had some really big spiked weeks and then Kyler Murray had some as well. While Murray was a little bit more consistent than, than Jones, they had those occasional spiked weeks. Do you see envision that in your, in your projections that Burrow with the, the players surrounding him in Cincinnati and, and probably a average or below average defense that Burrow could have similar results? Um, I think he'll be similar in that uh, he'll be, you know, he'll be better for the Bengals. You know, um, I mean, if you look really hard at Kyler Murray's efficiency as a passer, it wasn't so good as a rookie. And, and D- Daniel Jones is, was probably poor. Now, that's relative to an average NFL starting quarterback. Relative to a rookie quarterback, they were fine. You know, they, it was a satisfactory rookie season. Uh, year two is really where you see these these uh, quarterbacks, especially the high pedigree quarterbacks, make a leap in terms of efficiency. So, again, I think uh, guys like Jones and Murray are right on track. The other guys that didn't play as much, we'll see. Um as for Burrow, we know he's going to be a week one starter. That has really been the trend for early early uh, quarterback selections in the draft as of late. 
So, you know, he'll get plenty of experience. He has a pretty good supporting cast around him, which should help his numbers a little bit, help his efficiency when you have a, a Boyd and an A.J. Green and a T. Higgins and a John Ross as your fourth receiver, uh, not to mention Joe Mixon and, and Gio Bernard out of the backfield. The offensive line is a question mark there, but, uh, you know, he's he's uh, has some uh, scramble ability. So um, I think he'll he'll survive. Um, so I definitely think he could be competent. I don't think he's going to light it up by any means. I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. Have to keep expectations and check for rookies. And as for Tua, and even you could throw Justin Herbert in this mix. I don't think it's going to be long before they're under, under center. You could talk about Tua's, uh, you know, injury concerns, and you could talk about Herbert's, uh, you know, how raw of a prospect he is, or he's a long way to go. Whatever it is, we've heard this story over and over and over again, and. Uh, you know, about 80% of the time, if not higher than that, I think the rate's actually a little above that. These first round quarterbacks are under center in the first month of the season. It's like clockwork. Every year we go through this, uh, he's going to take a season, a red shirt season, and it pretty much never happens. Yeah, it really, they get on the field pretty quickly. Final quarterback question. I know someone who focuses yourself on a lot of analytics in addition to the film watching. If quarterback was not a need on your dynasty team, do you see a big difference between Justin Herbert and Jordan Love? Is it that Herbert's going to get on the field a lot quicker, so that's the clear Mm -hmm. expectation to go? Or do you have question marks about both of them based on the analytics in the film? Yeah, I definitely would want Herbert, right? I think he'll be starting pretty quickly. Again, two years ago, we heard the the Tyrod story in Cleveland, right? He's the starter. He's our starter for this year. Baker Mayfield's going to learn the ropes. He's going to, it's going to be a redshirt season. And week three, I think it was, he was, (laughs) it was already Baker time, you know? Uh, And again, that's, that's a theme. If you look back at all of these situations over the past decade, so Herbert will be out there quick. So I want him. Um, I already thought he was a, a better prospect anyway. I'm not a big Jordan Love guy. Um, but he is super young, so there's not really a lot we have learned from him, a, a lot of time to develop for him. And that's what kind of pushes me away from Love and maybe even Jalen Hurts as well. Um, I'm fine with them at the very end of a dynasty rookie draft. Throw them on the end of your bench, especially if there's an injury or something. We're, we're going to get a quick look at these guys. That's fine. But, uh, yeah, I definitely have Herbert quite a bit ahead because we're going to learn who he is a lot sooner. We might not find about, out about Love for another year or so, and, and you could say perhaps the same about Hurts. Yeah, absolutely. Makes a lot of sense there. If we take this to the running back position, pre-draft, there seemed to be a lot of talk of it was a clear top five at the top. And then those five all go within the first two rounds of the NFL draft, all pretty good landing spots, but all kind of join somebody else in in the short term. No clear Josh Jacobs situation like last year. Can you just kind of talk us through a little bit your thought process in, in these running backs? When you rank them for dynasty, do you usually take more of a view of I want the guys who I think are going to be best early on because running back is such a short lifespan. And is that the perspective you take when you kind of value these guys? Yeah. I mean, I consider situation a bit, of course, pedigree is a factor, but uh, I've had a a pretty, not to sound like I'm patting myself on the back or anything. We all miss of course, but uh, a pretty good run of success with running backs as of late looking at, uh, you know, in-depth efficiency stats. So um, you know, that's where you can find guys like Jordan Howard and Chris Carson and Cream Hunt, guys like that. I, I love even even Boston Scott, who's who's starting to come along, you know, guys like that, um, you know, really jump off the page. And there were a couple guys like that this year, including uh, Clyde's Edward, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who was my number one running back before the draft, which was not a popular opinion by any means. But I was not surprised at all when a team like the Chiefs 
took him at, at that, well, I'm surprised any running back goes in the first round this day and age, but nonetheless, I'm not surprised that he was the first one to go to that offense. So terrific fit. We know he could catch the football well. His uh, his efficiency in terms of breaking tackles, elusiveness is off the charts. So he's the clear number one for me. After that, you have, you know, Jonathan Taylor, terrific athlete, uh, elite rushing ability, but is he going to be a factor as a pass catcher? You know, Marlon Mack has never had a top 20 fantasy season in Indianapolis. And think about how, how efficient he's been as a rusher. They just, he, he doesn't see many targets and they have Naheem Hines there. So I've considered that with him. He's really going to have to be like a Adrian Peterson type, where his, his rushing is off the charts and can over uh, overshadow perhaps below average uh, receiving contributions. But from there, Taylor, Swift, Dobbins, Akers, I think all those guys are pretty close. And then my favorite player in this draft this year was Zach Moss from Utah. Again, number two enforced missed tackle rate, number two in yards after contact. Last season, the year before, he was about the same in terms of efficiency. The guy has a ridiculous, uh, a ridiculous frame. He's over 220 pounds. I know the 40 was slow. I'm not too worried about that. The guys I listed before, all underwhelmed in the 40. Not a big deal for me. I think he's uh, athletic enough and the rushing ability is pretty obvious there. Yeah, I mean, Moss is a guy that seems to be a fan of, of many in the community, and he lands there in Buffalo. It's going to be really interesting to kind of see the split between him and Devin Singletary and how that emerges as the year goes on. I think with the lack of offseason, Singletary probably sees a little bit more work early on, but I, I can see that flipping. Final two running back questions. Is it hard to rank somebody like J.K. Dobbins in dynasty ranks? Because I was looking over your dynasty ranks a little bit last night, you know, where you know that a very established guy is ahead of him for year one, while DeAndre Swift, you know, has on Johnson there. Cam Akers have Darrell Henderson. Those guys are not really proven established players, you know, carry on with the injuries over his first two years. Darrell Henderson barely played last year. So how is it? How do you take that into account with J.K. Dobbins? And then where do you stand on the Keyshawn Vaughn? Because I don't think I'm going to own him on many of my dynasty rosters, but there are a lot of people, you know, in the fantasy community who are really high on him. Yeah, Vaughn was a guy I had. Uh, you know, I'll, when I do my prospect list and I'm researching, I'll color a guy red if I think I'm going to be low on them. You know, if I'm not as as fond as the consensus in green, if I like them. And Edward Hilaire, Zach Moss, and Keyshawn Vaughn were three of the greens uh, aside of the top prospects. So um, I, I do like Vaughn a bit. The efficiency there is terrific. Uh, I I think Ronald Jones, who's actually younger than Vaughn, is still kind of an interesting post-type guy. So I wouldn't forget about him just yet there in Tampa Bay. A lot, a lot of these young backfields are really tough to figure out. Like you said, carry on with Swift, you know, carry on. We don't know yet. The jury's out. So we'll see who the better back is there. Probably Swift, but Johnson was pretty good as a rookie. And then Henderson, I mean, man, that guy averaged almost nine yards for carrying back to back years in college. So, um, you know, that's going to be an interesting battle for sure. And Akers, who knows what he's going to contribute as a pass catcher in the NFL. But, you know, to go back to your first question, Dobbins, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of talk about how good of a situation this is in Baltimore for running backs. And, you know, statistically, that's not true. I mean, it's just a, it's a narrative that's been pushed, and I don't really understand it. I mean, if you look at Greg Roman's offenses, yeah, the rushing numbers are big. You know, you see some pretty good rushing product, production. What you don't see <clears throat> in his offense is targets to the position, and you don't see fantasy points to the position. The fantasy points overall have not been very good. Actually, I have a piece coming out on that next week over at ESPN.com. It's going to get into that a little bit. So uh, on top of that, you know, if Dobbins was the clear lead back, okay, fine. You know, maybe he's in, maybe he's an RB2. Maybe we're talking about him as a top 20. Uh, if you really like him, a top 15 running back, fine. If he's the clear feature back there, he is not. He's He may play seven snaps in week one, right? They, you have Mark Ingram 
who was one of the most effective backs in the NFL over the past decade. He's still there. He's going to play. It's not a bench player. Gus Edwards has the highest yards per carry in the NFL since he was drafted. And yeah, that's one stat fine. He doesn't do much as a receiver, but they like to bring him in as a hammer and run the football with him. And he's been effective. Uh, so, you know, they, they have other mouths to feed. He's going to have a hard time being a feature back barring an injury, maybe two injuries. And again, he's probably not going to see many targets. So yeah, I, I definitely knocked him for that. I think is what he's going in round five of high stakes leagues right now, which in, in season long, not dynasty. It's just, I think it's out of control. Yeah, I mean, you make some really good points. I mean, I know here I'm, I'm a big Dobbins fan, but I'm really interested to read that piece that you're going to have coming out on ESPN. So I'll be looking for that uh, later this week or next week. If we take this real quick, one question on the tight ends, and then we'll close with the wide receivers. Not really expected, as usual, much from the tight ends in terms of redraft. Is there one or two names that maybe in a dynasty draft, third, fourth round, that you would be intrigued with putting on your roster and, and just kind of waiting it out? It was a relatively you know lackluster tight end class. Uh, but is there is there one or two guys that maybe pique your interest? Uh, I mean, Adam Troutman was number one on my board going into the draft, so I left him there, right? I like the overall skill set. He was a small school guy uh, from Dayton, but put up huge numbers. Just drawn Mark Andrews comp. So I think he could emerge kind of quietly into a two-way tight end. You can see him out there every day on blocking and, and contributing as pass catcher. Terrific athlete. Killed it in the three cone at the combine. Good size. So I, he's atop my board. Um and the guy to keep an eye on, I guess, is you never know with Bill Belichick, right? Uh, Devin Asiasi was a guy that I liked pre-draft. He's one of them guys I had with the green color I was talking about that I, I was surprised how, you know, you look at his rankings across the industry and they were really low. And I was, you know, sometimes when a, a whole bunch of other extremely smart people, people smarter than me, ranking a guy low, you're like, what am I missing here? Uh, but apparently New England liked him to take him in round three. So he's a really interesting name. I'm going to see if they develop him and, and try to utilize him as a – uh, maybe their primary pass catcher at that position. So for me, it's Troutman. Uh, I have commit from Notre Dame second on my board. Asiasi's third. Uh, but yeah, it's not it's not a great class. And these guys aren't going to do much as rookies anyway, right? They're all long-term stashes in Dynasty. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I had Troutman number one before the draft just based on right. his film. And so I'm excited about the New Orleans landing spot, maybe down the line, you know, if Jared Cook's there one more year and we'll see after next year. And then Asiasi is a guy who I had in my top five before the draft. And then I didn't think he was going to get that kind of draft capital. So that kind of was mm -hmm. exciting to see. And it'll be interesting because then they also drafted Dalton Keene in that round. So what, did, what, what are the plans for both of those guys who were both top 100 picks with some draft capital? I think it's going to be interesting to follow. If we round this out with the wide receiver position, they all, you know, a lot of guys taken in the first two rounds for sure, and then more in the third and fourth rounds of note. But in the first round, guys, the Judy, the Lamb, Rugs, you know, the Rager and the Jefferson, and then Brandon Ayuk slid in there as well. You know, is CD Lamb, even though he's in the most crowded currently depth chart is he your your top guy in terms of long term and do you think that he could maybe surprise this year you know with the loss of targets from Randall Cobb and, and Jason mm -hmm. Witten I know you project all that out is there maybe more targets to be had for CD Lamb than maybe than maybe the public perception is no question about it for a variety of reasons. First of all, if you look at only the three games that Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup and Randall Cobb played together last season Cooper and Gallup were both top 10 fantasy receivers. In fact, I believe they were both top five. And uh, Randall Cobb was inside the top 35. So, you know, they were producing three receivers. And that was before Mike McCarthy arrived. And why is that important? Well, every year in Green Bay, literally, 
the Packers were near the top of the league in an 11 personnel package or three plus wide receiver set. So uh, he loves that formation. He's not calling the plays in Dallas. Kellen Moore is, but I do think that, I mean, if you take CeeDee Lamb in the first round, you're probably going to do your best to, to keep uh, three wide receivers on the field. So definitely an opportunity there. There's plenty of targets to go around in this offense, especially if they throw more, which again is another staple of a, a McCarthy offense. And and they were not run heavy last year. They were fairly balanced. They leaned slightly toward the run in Kellen Moore's first season calling the plays, but not surprised me if that flips in there a little bit on the pass first side of the league. And as for long-term, you know what? My answer is, I don't know. I, I, I've struggled with Judy versus Lamb the entire offseason, like a lot of people have. Um, Lamb going into the draft was slightly ahead for me, but it was 1A, 1B. They're about the same age. They're about the same size. They're, if you look at you know how they performed at the combine, almost identical. Uh, you know, Judy was a little bit more in a slot at Alabama than Lamb was, but he, you know, almost, you know, around 40% of his run came from the slot. He, he can contribute as a punt returner. I mean, there's a couple things that differentiate how these guys will be utilized, but they're both very similar. So it's a tough call. I don't have a preference. You know, one draft, I would take Judy in a rookie draft. I'd have no problem going Lamb first with the next pick if I'm in, in picking around that top five. So uh, I, that's that's a really tough call. Do you think Judy's addition curtails the upside of Cortland Sutton with the uncertainty and the development of Drew Locke? Or are you not as concerned that you think there might be enough to go around for both of them in Denver as high-end fantasy assets? Uh, no, I think they can be okay. I mean, he might knock his targets down a little bit. It's going to depend on how good Locke is, though, right? I mean, if they come out and they, they throw the ball a little bit more and, and Locke is effective, then there should be plenty of room for, for two guys. And perhaps you can get K, uh, KJ Hamler on the radar as well in, in fantasy. But um, yeah, a lot, a lot will come down to that. They also have to be a little bit more balanced. They were a run first offense last season. And I think they probably will be this year, too, with uh, you know a very, very good defense they're run by Vic Fangio. I think that's going to be a breakout defense this year. And also they brought in Melvin Gordon to go with Phil Lindsay. They're probably going to want to run the ball uh, as much as they can. But uh, long-term, you know, I like both guys a lot. I was a big Sutton fan. So I'm still, I still think he's a strong wide receiver too, short-term in fantasy. Yeah, I think that makes sense. If, if we took it to the other couple of receivers that were taken in round one, I know you always have your pulse on the Eagles pretty closely. Thoughts on, on Jalen Rager and what he can materialize into maybe short-term and long-term. Is his short-term value so much tied into whether or not the health of Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson? And then, you know, from your projections, a lot of people seem to think Justin Jefferson might be ticketed for the most immediate opportunity with the loss of Stefan Diggs. Do you see that for, for him, you know, when you did your projections? Yeah, Jefferson, I mean, talk about a clear path to snaps. I mean, yeah, he's he's going to play a ton right away. I don't they just don't really have any legitimate competition there. So, like that situation a lot, like the prospect, he's fifth on my board in, in dynasty drafts behind Judy Lamb, Ruggs and Higgins. Would not would not be upset if you put him at 3, like him a lot. Uh Rager, I mean, I'll be honest, didn't like him in the, in the pre-draft process. I mean, I there's there's certainly a lot to like, right? I mean, he's uh, he's a, a terrific athlete. He had a good season a couple years ago at TCU, but uh, man, last season was really bad, really bad. And I know some of that was, he didn't have a lot of catchable balls. They didn't have good quarterback play there, but the guy fumbled a lot. He had nine drops. His, his efficiency was really, really atrocious. And that he had six fumbles. I mean, he made a lot of uh, mistakes that were on him as well. So I'm a little worried about that especially as you mentioned, being an Eagles fan, you know, makes me a little bit nervous, but then again, 
Uh, I think wide receiver stats are one of the less reliable. You know, running back, I think you can learn a lot. There's a huge sample there. Wide receivers, I've, I've no, noticed over the years, not uh, don't correlate quite as well to the NFL. So perhaps that's a saving grace for him. Obviously, Philly likes him. A lot of other uh, analysts, the tape watchers like him a lot. So um, he's a tough one for me. I don't think I'm going to have him on any dynasty teams because uh, I'm a little bit lower on him. He's seventh on my board, which is a little higher than I had him pre-draft. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. Yeah, for sure. I think Jalen Rager is a name that the community is a little bit split on. I mentioned, I, I heard you mention T. Higgins' name in there, and he's a guy that I still very high on T. Higgins, but I feel like some of the community has concerns about, you know, separation quickness. And, you know, they're always worried about, you know, who's the next like Laquan Treadwell. And my comment is always for, well, for every Laquan Treadwell, there's also guys like Kenny Galladay and out. Al- Allen Robinson that maybe don't test out great in the 40 and their separation quickness is not ideal, but they still become very good to great wide receivers. Is that kind of how you view Higgins or is the, the ranking of him a little bit attached to, you know, Joe Burrow, the quarterback and the upside in that, or is it more just on Higgins, the player himself? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you can read one scouting report and it says one thing about a player, like he has good separation and then read another one and it says he has poor separation. So you have to kind of pick, uh, who you do read. So I, I've, I've seen those concerns as well, but I've also seen uh, people that I, I respect and trust to watch him say separation is fine and that he's a very complete big wide receiver. Uh, the comp for him was A.J. Green going in, you know, pre-draft. And sure enough, he's probably going to be A.J. Green's eventual replacement there as the big perimeter wide receiver in Cincinnati. For now, he'll be his teammate, uh, probably opens the season opposite him competing with John Ross for snaps, uh, again, opposite green with Tyler Boyd in the slot. But uh, it's going to be hard for him to be a consistent a consistent producer as a rookie. There's just uh, – there are, believe it or not, in Cincinnati, a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. And uh, you have a rookie quarterback. It's going to take a little bit of time. So maybe a, a 2021 breakout for Higgins, but I love the prospect a lot. It was hard to find negatives on him. And uh, the upside's huge. You know, anytime you have a guy with that – that that size and that athletic ability out there on the perimeter and so young. I mean, he's only 21 and a half years old. Uh, the sky is the limit. It could, some of these guys just don't have an elite ceiling. I think Higgins has that. So I like him a lot. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think people, he seemed to be relevant in college for quite some time. And I think sometimes the longer you're relevant, the more people look to nitpick and, and find flaws with your game. And I think that's what a little bit of the narrative with T Higgins was final wide receiver question and final question for the show. Is there any wide receivers that we haven't brought up that, you know, maybe, you know, you, you talked about like green star and some guys like that maybe stood out before the draft and then maybe the draft either bumped them up a little higher or maintained that status that you're kind of excited about that might maybe is a little bit down uh, the, the rankings for some people, but you preferably like. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, uh, and again, it's not. This isn't always the case, but uh, other than Rager, I think I had a decent year. I like Brandon Ayuk a lot. He went to the first round of the 49ers. Again, I'm not sure he has that elite ceiling that I was just talking about, but I think he could really settle in as a very reliable target for that 49ers offense. Uh, Michael Pittman uh, and Denzel Mims had them both in green. They're both uh, ninth and tenth on my board. Both, he, both intrigued by the situations there too. Indianapolis for Pittman, he could play right away early on. Uh, and then, uh, again, very athletic, good size there. And Mims, kind of same thing, should play a lot right away in that Jets offense. Chase Claypool had him in green. Devin Duvarney, him in green as well. Uh, Baltimore wide receivers don't produce very much. Uh, in fact, the Ravens wide receivers, as good as that offense was, think about how good that offense was, led the NFL in touchdowns last year offensively, uh, dead last in wide receiver fantasy points. So that makes you a little bit nervous about him. 
Uh, Claypool, on the other hand, Pittsburgh has been a hotbed for wide receivers in recent years. So uh, like that situation for sure. But yeah, those guys kind of went perhaps a little earlier maybe than than I thought. And, and guys like Brian Edwards, who I didn't lock, uh, like a ton, fell a little bit lower than he was on board. John Hightower wasn't a big fan. Donovan Peoples-Jones, I mean, man, was that guy getting hyped up pre-draft? He falls all the way to the six. I just don't understand that hype at all. Um, so the those are, um, you know, just a couple of the names I'm keeping an eye on here. Tyler Johnson to Tampa, super intrigued by that situation. Uh, if you look at yards per route run, which I think is a very interesting stat at the college level, um, you know, CeeDee Lamb was clearly number one in this class. T. Higgins was two. Tyler Johnson was three. And right behind them was uh, was uh, Jerry Judy. So that's a, a heck of a foursome right there. And Tyler Johnson's right in that mix. I was a little surprised he fell to round five. And he goes to that Tom Brady-led Buccaneers offense where he could be the number three wide receiver right away. So like that one as well. Yeah, Tyler Johnson is one of those guys that for the whole college football season, there seemed to be a disconnect. The Debbie and draft Twitter community were huge fans of Tyler Johnson, thought he was going to be a top 100 pick for sure. And then you heard from some of the people who had a little bit more of a pulse with the NFL world, NFL scouts like Dane Brugler and stuff in Tony Pauline, that they just had heard that the NFL, for whatever reason, wasn't that high on Tyler Johnson. So he falls to the fifth round, but he ends up in a great spot. So he's going to be an interesting one. I know they're going to probably run more, you know, two tight end personnel than any team maybe in the league this year. But what We'll see if at some point he gets an opportunity down the line uh, and makes the most of it. So, guys, Mike, thank you so much uh, for for hopping on here for a little bit and and talking through these prospects with me. I know you mentioned that article that was coming up. Anything else you want to let my audience know that uh, what you're working on? And also your projections are some of my favorite things to look at. Is there an easy – I usually get there through Twitter, but is there an easier way besides Twitter for people to access all your projections? Yeah, I put uh, kind of all of the, the clay, proje- clay projections, if you will, into a, a handy PDF now. So I'll update that throughout the offseason over at the uh, the cheat sheet page at ESPN Fantasy. It's also my pinned tweet on Twitter at Mike Clay NFL. So definitely check that out uh, for sure if you're if you're interested. And uh, yeah, like you said, uh, health content throughout the summer. I have a big one coming, some new information, something we've never seen before in this industry coming to ESPN and ESPN Plus next week, a two-parter. Uh, and there'll be plenty more to come from that uh, uh, next week. So really looking forward to getting that out there. Absolutely, guys. Make sure you're following Mike. Again, thank you so much, Mike. Greatly appreciate this. Anytime, Paul. Thanks. Guys, there it is for Mike Clay, for our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.